Playing Politics is this partnership between the uh, Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. Chad Hartman here from uh, WCCO, Pat Lopez, and John Rash, Star Tribune. Uh, Pat, I'm going to start with you, and here's our timing, so we'll tell exactly what's going on because plenty of people listen to us live and plenty mm-hmm. of people listen to the podcast. As we speak, Labor Secretary Alex Acosta is uh, trying to explain himself about his role in putting together the plea deal. Mm-hmm. For Jeff Epstein, going back to 2008, this is days after he has been arrested with, let's just be blunt, some disgusting charges of of sex trafficking, himself having sex with young, young children, Mm -hmm. pedophilia rape. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Today on the Today Show, uh, an individual was 14, described Mm -hmm. in, in specific detail, just outlandish. And these and these accounts have been corroborated. Exactly. Too. And there is just enormous questions about how when they had so much information in 08, he evidence. received a, a, they a had evidence. Right. Ridiculously light sentence where yeah. at times he was charged for this, but six days a week he could go to the office. He served time out of the county jail. And yep. they would let him off to go, you know, do his work, whatever yep. that was. Yeah, incredible. And uh, as the reporter uh, for the Miami Herald who broke this story, this latest version of it. Julie Brown uh, deserves right, Julie a ton Brown, of credit for this. Incredible. Yep. Where would America be without its journalists, Chad? Yep. But Julie Brown uh, made a point of reminding Acosta and others that much of this evidence was in uh, abundance in 2008. They had many yep. of the documents. They just either chose to ignore them. Uh, they uh, There was a letter where they had an agreement not to call witnesses that Acosta signed. Yep. So I think the, the uh, you know, money's running 50-50 on whether as we speak he suddenly finds the need to spend more time with his family or not. Uh, John, when you look at the, the challenge Acosta has to the president, okay, because there's a lot of ways we can look at it, right? I think the American public deserves a further explanation of what the you-know-what were you doing here. But this is an audience, I think, for one. President Trump is watching this right now and saying, can you provide enough of an explanation that I'm going to stand behind you? Just talk about the political daunting challenge he is facing. Hold on a second here. Uh, There we go. There we go. Indeed, that uh, he is probably speaking directly to President Trump and to the American people. And you mentioned that there are many ways to look at this. And one way to look at this is, yes, this involves the labor secretary, but it also involves the labors of all sorts of people across the political spectrum who were closely tied to him. Including including the president. Former former President Bill Clinton and the current president, Donald Trump, who famously now has said said some very kind words about him in a previous magazine article. As often is the case, now President Trump is indicating that he doesn't know him well or that they had a falling out. But you have the current labor secretary. You have Alan Dershowitz, a well-known attorney. You have an entire system that can legitimately give the American people the feeling that there is rot at the top to be able to support and defend and shield an individual who's facing such extraordinary allegations and indeed went through a previous court case here. So I think that the questions reverberate much more than what's going to happen with Alex Acosta and his job as labor secretary. And I think this is a scandal that Americans truly understand and that will resonate for quite some time. 
So let's talk about the two presidents, and let's be clear about this. The main person that we should focus on is Jeff Epstein and what Mm -hmm. he did. But when you have a former president and the current president who had some type of relationship with this person, uh, journalists are going to be curious about this and pursue it, and the public is going to be. Let's let's deal with Bill Clinton first of all. Bill Clinton, uh, as spokesman, came out earlier this week and said we had nothing to do with it. It was just a few flights. Mm. There are others who say they are downplaying the number of flights, that it wasn't four, it was over in the mid-20s, and they associated more. Mm -hmm. So that's Bill Clinton. President Trump and Epstein traveled in similar circles, mainly in in, in southeast Florida. Epstein wasn't a formal member of Mar-a-Lago, but he spent plenty of time there. You have some reports saying that the president, after having some fun and partying with them, learned more about Epstein and these underage girls and wanted no part of them. The we don't president, know that, though. Yeah, we don't know that. Um, that's that's speculation. You're right. That speculation is out there. Right. Um, but we don't know that. For so a fact. how germane are Trump and Clinton to this story? Well, I mean, you know, Trump is the most germane because he's the president. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the figures that were involved in helping get Epstein this sweetheart deal are associates of his, Ellen Dershowitz, uh, Alex Acosta. Um, so I think that's the that's the first one. But the important point is that Jeffrey Epstein had a lot of friends in very high places. Yes. And so I am trusting in America's journalists to get to the bottom of this and to I don't think you can uh, – there's no path that you wouldn't follow at this point to find out facts because until we find out all those facts, we won't know what's the most relevant piece of information here. John, let's switch to the census question, okay? But this time last week, it appeared that the administration had conceded to the Supreme Court decision, pointed comments from Chief Justice John Roberts, that noted liberal, by the way, um, and were giving up. And that Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, said the question would not be a part of it. The citizenship question would not be a part of it. And that they were getting ready to print the census, right? Then the president tweets, that's fake news. I don't know what you're talking about. And then that same day, you had uh, attorneys from the Justice Department facing questions from the judge. And they basically were saying, we don't know quite at this point what the president is referring to. We'll get back to you. Well, then what the Justice Department tried to do, I'm sure under the direction of the president, they said, those attorneys are out, new attorneys are in. We're bringing in all new attorneys. Right. Then yesterday the judge says, oh, no, you're not. And by the way, if these attorneys are leaving, I want them to come here under oath to give an explanation why they are leaving. How out of the ordinary is all of this? You first and Pat, you jump in. Like everything else that seems to happen in Washington nowadays, extraordinarily out of the ordinary in terms of how it's being handled. And yet the impact may already be felt in terms of this question may not make it to the census. But by taking it to the level that the administration has and by pushing it even further, as the president has tried to do by switching up these attorneys, keeping it in the news, the impact that maybe the ultimate desire of those who were pushing for this question that certain people won't answer the census that you might have undercounts in traditional democratic areas may actually happen whether the question is there or not. And so I think that that 
has to be part of the dialogue as well. That's on, that's one of the impacts. But the other deeper one is going to be if they actually get this question included. Uh, because then you will have they will have at their fingertips the information they need to, you know, basically root out immigrants, which is what the purpose of all of this is. Uh, the reason I think they're not going to be able to find a rationale um, that will pass legal muster is because the primary mission, they can't find a rationale that doesn't undermine the primary mission of the census, which is an accurate count of all of the people in the United States. That is in the Constitution. It never says citizens. And that's a carefully worded document. If they meant citizens, they would have said citizens. They said people. And you can't do that if you're going to do something like this where you add this citizenship question. And experts have said this is not even the most effective way to determine the number of citizens. We have other routes to do that. So the fact that they want to add it here is, you know, for the reason that they don't want to talk about. They want to use it to root out immigrants. Let's uh, let's uh, go to the Democrats here. So Speaker Pelosi gives a lengthy interview with Maureen Dowd. Over the weekend, and Maureen Dowd has been a long-time successful must-read in the New York Times who gets access and, and can go after people in a very skillful way. And part of what she had with Pelosi is when Pelosi was looking at kind of the young new wave with Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and was like, well, you know, they got their Twitter followers, but you know what? They're really just four votes. Yep. And was really dismissive. dismissive patting them on the head, wait your turn, mm-hmm. and they have not handled that very well. AOC today in an interview in New York was saying, you know, part of what's going on too is Pelosi's assigning me to these committees trying to keep me busy so I'm not out there. How big of a story is this with the Democrats right now? <laughs> well, you know, it's a tempest in a teapot, but it's never, it's never great, you know, the job of speaker is so hard as it is. It's even harder when you've got infighting and that infighting spills over onto social media. Um, you know, is she keeping Acasio? Acasio is a, is a freshman. So, of course, she's not going to get, the you know, all the committees she wants. She is going to have, you know, probably a little more scut work than she'd like to have. Um, on the other hand, you know, Pelosi, I think – and it wasn't just in the Maureen Dowd interview. She mm-hmm. has been dismissive oh, yeah. of right. these, you know, uh, you know, sort of more progr- the more progressive end of the spectrum and these fresh freshmen in particular. And I think that's a mistake on her part. That's clearly where a lot of the energy is in the party. And, you know, and a good speaker needs to acknowledge that and find a way to, you know, uh, you know, to weave that into her caucus, not just try to shove them off. She's a vote counter. That's, you know, she always has been. That's why Mm -hmm. she says there are only four votes. And that's true. They are only four votes. But the following they command is, you know, is great and is not to be lightly dismissed. And I think she does so at, you know, the peril of a successful caucus. So, you know, hopefully they'll patch this up. You know, Chad, Minnesota is a microcosm of what Speaker Pelosi faces. And she knows that the reason the Democrats retook the House, and of course that's their goal is to keep it, particularly if they have a Democratic president yep. after the next election, are because of swing seats that were taken by the likes of Dean Phillips and Angie Craig. Mm-hmm. And that seats that were taken by Ilhan Omar, another freshman, just like the aforementioned representatives, would have been Democratic anyway. And there are actually far more new representatives in the Craig Phillips mold than there are of the so-called squad, which is what and, these four and it's not clo- it's not close, but not way. even close. And yeah. my sense is is that the speaker hears this, however quietly, from some of those new members and from some existing members, 
Now, this could have significant ramifications because, as Patricia rightly mentions, there's certainly a lot of energy on that side of the party. And or if some of these members try to encourage challenges to incumbents in the same way that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came and and beat a long-term incumbent in New York City. So we'll have to see how that transpires in the next several months here. But uh, this is, you know, increasingly a high-profile intrust party spat when normally you would think that they would focus their attention on the president. Well, it's one that Republicans are going to make much of, uh, you know, just as Democrats would do if they saw infighting on the other side. Yep. Let's uh, let's stay with you, John, first, and Pat, you chime in. Playing politics here, Star Tribune and WCC Radio, this partnership. Uh, information comes out in the last 48 hours that Joe Biden, post-vice president position, made a lot of money, right? That uh, book deals and speaking and uh, he and his wife, close to $15 million. And if, and if he was just going into his retirement, you'd say, what's the big deal? Now it has become a part of the conversation with some of the pundits saying, now, wait a sec, can he be middle-class Joe if he's no longer middle-class Joe? And I just would look back to 2016 to the campaign of one Donald J. Trump. Whatever the president is worth, it's, it's, a, it's a great deal of money. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, part of his appeal was to the forgotten voters who faced the recession during the end of the Bush uh, presidency and then when the economy started to come back but not as strong as they wanted during the Obama presidency, that Donald Trump said to them, I'm you. Identify with me. And this New York elitist was able to identify with them to his credit. He won. So this idea, because Biden now has made more money and he can't identify with those people, I, I just don't buy. And I think certainly some candidates may try to make something of it. But previously it was reported that Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, who you know positions himself as the great champion of the people, wants to run a revolution here in this country. He himself was worth more than a million dollars in yep. the last um, accounting that he had to give to the FEC. So – Regarding the Senate, most are millionaires, certainly those who run for president who have been in office for a certain amount of time uh, are wealthy, some of them quite wealthy at this point. I think that Joe Biden's life story, as he positions it at minimum as the scrappy kid from Scranton, Pennsylvania, that does resonate with enough Democratic Party voters that even if he's worth $14, $15 million in income that they had last, that they made last year, that he at least has a long track record of advocating yep. for the middle class. We're, we're going to deal with a lot of this kind of nonsense in uh, in the coming year, and and that's what it is. Your claim to middle class, middle class Joe, middle class Jane, is not determined by your income, by the but the, by the values that you fight for. You know, that's the barometer that people should be looking at. Um, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a rich man. He had no scrappy little kid from Scranton story. Mm-hmm. He was rich from rich people yep. going back generations. He identified with, you know, average people and people in the middle of the Depression. That's what allowed him to do that because he fought for them, because his agenda was for them. That's the way people should be measuring these candidates now. There is not a senator in the Senate right now that could lay any claim by income or assets to be middle class. They are by definition rich. So then you just go from there. Uh, And it's, you know, these are all distractions that are designed, I think, to, you know, draw people away from what really matters, from a really clear-eyed assessment of who these candidates are fighting for, what their real agendas are. 
And last thing, Pat, I don't think the Republicans are going to bring this up much because their guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> they don't want to talk about money. is very successful <laughs> mm-hmm. to whatever level. Right. We'll end it right there. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you, uh, John Rash and Patricia Lopez. This partnership between the Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. It is one fifty-three. That is the Lindis Construction time check. Time to learn why Lindis is the top installer of Leaf Leafguard brand gutters throughout the world.